630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. And now you've got Kajula looking for the activating nurse. He's got him to win it. Nurse shoots and scores. Riley takes the snap, settles into the pocket. He's got some time. Now he's going deep, looking down the sidelines. Oh, what a catch! And that's going to be a touchdown all the way to the end zone for Darrell Walker. An absolute bomb. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Well, turn it up to 11, everybody. It's Inside Sports on Eskimos and Oilers Radio 630. Chad, hope you had a wonderful weekend. The Edmonton Eskimos picked up a victory on Saturday, 40-24, to over the lowly Montreal Alouettes. Head coach Jason Moss coming up with Morley Scott from 7.30 to 8 tonight, our weekly edition of the Eskimos Coaches Show. Blake Dermott will break down the Eskimos' victory and talk a little bit about last night's result, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, thanks to a defensive score, a special team score, getting a big early lead against the Calgary Stampeders and handing the Stamps their first loss of the season. The Edmonton Oilers busy over the last couple of days. The new name who has a contract, a one-year deal, Jakob Yerebek, 26 years old. He is a left-shot defenseman, but he can play either side. 36 NHL games last season. First with Montreal, then 11 with Washington, plus two more in the playoffs. Uh, Played in the uh, Czech Republic earlier in his career. This is his first year in the NHL last season. He can pass the puck. This is talking to people who watched him with the Caps. He can pass the puck. uh, Decent, but not Great defender, definitely a guy who's more of a 5-6-7 type uh, defenseman, so bottom pairing for the Oilers or competing for maybe uh, uh, a spot there on the lower end. If he can pass the puck and get it up ice quick, that's going to help. He is not going to replace the Andre Secker of two years ago. Perhaps uh, he will be better than the Andre Secker of last year, who obviously uh, wasn't his old self coming back from the ACL injury and now will not play the majority of this coming season because of the torn Achilles. So that's the uh, news there on Yerbeck. Uh, listed at about 5'11", 200 pounds. Again, left shot, but he can play either side. So this is uh, a maybe I mean, there's there's certainly no guarantee that this guy can jump in and be a really good player. Can he be a decent player? Well, uh, okay, let's hope for that. And if again, if he can pass the puck and move it quickly up ice, that's something that can help the Oilers. How many how many times were they languishing between their two circles last season, throwing the puck back and forth D to D and not whipping it up ice and trying to attack that way? So that is uh, one of the new guys. The other. Well, potential new guy. He's got a professional tryout deal. Not a new guy to the NHL. That is Scotty Upshaw, 15-year NHL veteran, 34 years of age, from Fort McMurray. I saw Scotty Upshaw play right at the beginning of my broadcasting career in the spring of 2000. He was a member of the Fort McMurray Oil Barons, playing the uh, Lloydminster Blazers, as they were known at the time, in the AJHL's North Final. Uh, Fort McMurray, an outstanding team that year. 
coached by Fran Gal. They won the AJHL. They won the RBC, the Junior A Championship, on their home ice. Fort McMurray hosted the tournament that season. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Currently, Upshaw gets a uh, PTO from the Oilers, and uh, he's coming in to help. Opportunity to come in and play my game, which you know we can touch on. Just like you said, I play, I play both wings. I think the chemistry I've been able to build with Kyle over the last couple of years, we really kept the, uh, we kept the core of our, our St. Louis Blues team. You know, by the way we played, we play the same way every night. We're very dependent on, um, you know, coaching staff using us late in games or against top players or just to go out and you know just create energy when things aren't going so well. Um, you know, really that's the role that I've embraced. All right, Upshaw, seven goals, 19 points in 63 games for the Blues last season. It'll be Upshaw's third PTO in his last four years. He was on Oilers now earlier today, Brendan Ulrich filling in for Bob Stoffer. Upshaw saying there's a different feeling going into training camp trying to earn a contract instead of already having one. Take advantage of every practice, of every drill. you gotta, you know, you got to blend with the guys. you got to kind of come in and... and you know, feel out your your role on the team. You got to, you know, although you don't have a contract, a lot of the guys uh, they're all competing for jobs. It's a, you know, it's it's not easy. As the, it's harder to stay in the game as it is to, you know, make make the team for your first your first ever professional uh, tryout. It's a little nerve wracking to be honest. You, you wish you had the contract. Well, I think Scotty Upshaw will have a contract. I think he's a very good bet to make the Edmonton Oilers uh, as a depth player who can help with experience, who can help on the penalty kill, some areas that obviously were lacking on the Oilers last season. And if you look at the players coming back, uh, I mean, I've talked about this guy before. He was acquired at the trade deadline for Mark Letestu, and that is Pontus Aberg. I think that even though he's only on a PTO and Aberg has a contract, Upshaw is uh, ahead of Pontus Aberg, who didn't really grab the opportunity he had with the Oilers. Obviously, uh, was uh, held out of a game after uh, missing a practice because of some uh, extracurricular activities the night before. Uh, th- does this put a little bit more pressure on uh, Drake Kajula? Yeah, possibly. Does this put a little bit more pressure on Zach Cassian to perform? Yeah, possibly. And then you still have the unknowns down the right side with Ty Ratty, with Jesse Pugliarvi, and Kyler Yamamoto. I think both these additions by the Oilers are far from sure things, though at least Upshaw is a veteran. I mean, 34 is not ancient by today's standards. Guys keep themselves in pretty good shape. I think he's a player who can come in and fill a role. The experience is of value, and uh, he's probably a guy where if you put him in the lineup, you at least know what you are going to get night after night. Jakob Yerbeck, no idea. I had no idea. Again, his potential is that he can uh, move the puck up ice quickly, is that he can get pucks through from the blue line, and that he can be a decent defender, probably on your third pair between 13 and 15 minutes a game. Is he going to do that? I can't promise you that. Is he going to be Johanna Vitu, where he's out of the lineup more often than him than in? He could be. Is he going to be Anton Beloff, where he can't really do much of anything? Yeah, he could be. Well, don't laugh, Kellett. I mean, look, I can't. Upshaw, at least I know what he is. Mm-hmm. And I, I I trust that he very likely can still bring that. I'm just laughing at the names you're bringing up. Well, all. I mean, these are guys that, that you hope for in past years. Mm-hmm. And I, hey, hey, look, 
Is there a, is it possible uh, Yerbeck comes in here and uh, really blossoms and finds his way with the Oilers? Could Absolutely. Happen. But, I mean, we just just simply haven't seen enough of him. Montreal did trade him to Washington. He played the first two playoff games for the Washington Capitals, both overtime losses against the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was taken out of the lineup, and Washington went on the run from there. He never got back in. I know from talking to somebody who covered the Capitals, Barry Trotz, preferred Kristen Juice to, to Yerbeck. Is, is Juice necessarily a better player than Yerbeck? I don't know. They're probably pretty close. But Trotz preferred one to the other. Sometimes that happens. A player's in a situation in which a coach just likes one player better than another guy because of his skill set or his potential or something about him. So that was a situation for Yerbeck. So he comes to the Oilers, and, and here we go. No guarantees, no problem. I mean, he's probably good enough probably good enough to be a depth defenseman is he good enough to make a large impact on the Oilers as a whole I I would say that would be in doubt but I I do think it's a low risk signing and they needed a guy with that skill set if he can bring it in the NHL night after night so anyway that is your Oilers news for the the day the Canadian Football League put out a statement today you're going to love this Following a review of the play, it has been determined that Darvin Adams' second touchdown celebration should have been flagged for objectionable conduct in accordance with our current standard, which prohibits the use of props. Adams uh, Adams got a touchdown, so you know TSN has the camera guy that runs onto the field to get the really close angle of the touchdown celebration. I got uh, Jason Carter here in Edmonton does a lot of that. Um, so Adams grabs the camera from the guy and is using the camera to celebrate the touchdown did not get flagged duke williams earlier in the season flagged for using a towel to mime the meal and then obviously got flagged on saturday for crawling through the booster juice line which i thought was great Mm -hmm. you're not delaying the game you're not taunting an opponent it's over in three seconds Little things like that, I don't mind. But the CFL, if they're going to have these celebration rules, they better be consistent. They weren't. They do admit that they were wrong by not flagging Adams. We'll get more on the Eskimos' victory with Blake Dermott when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Back set with McCarty into the game. Roddy will look to the right, throw it, and Cooper's got it. He's going to get to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Shaq Cooper takes the first pie out of the oven, and the Eskimos take a 9-0 lead. Motion will go from the left side to the right side for the Eskimos. Roddy takes the snap and drives back, going to the end zone, and touchdown, Eskimos. Williams with the reception. Riley, he takes the snap. Cooper protects again. The pressure's coming. Riley has to get it away, and it is complete. Touchdown, Eskimos. Eskimos. Bryant Mitchell with the reception in the end zone. Mitchell came from nowhere to catch a rainbow that Riley delivered as he was being taken down. Some of the highlights from Morley and Dave. Saturday night, you heard it here on 6.30, Chet. Eskimos 40, Alouettes 24. Some big numbers put up by the green and gold as they move to 6-3 and three on the season. For more on that... Our Eskimos analyst, former member of the team, Blake Dermott. Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I just want you to know, I, I crawled through a booster juice sign just before this interview just to get myself in the proper mood. <laughs> well, just so you know, I didn't. 
I didn't get a penalty for doing it, though. I got away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a a good thing they didn't have boosted your signs when I was playing. (laughs) (laughs) But you're offensive lineman. You guys never celebrate excessively. It wasn't just a handshake or a high five and back to the bench. Well, the, the, the other thing, too, with being an offensive lineman is none of us really wanted to get down on our stomachs because it took too much energy to get back up. <laughs> That's right. So didn't have the energy for anything elaborate, so it wasn't a big deal. That's great. That is great. Um, well, we'll, we'll, see what, uh, we'll see what happens. Does, does, as an ex-player, does that bother you? I mean, I know some people say, well, well, act like you've been there before. I didn't think Duke was hurting anybody's feelings or delaying the game. You know, when I, um, uh, when I saw the night before, uh, uh, grabbing the, the mic or sorry the camera and taking shots that bothered me um, because that was uh, you know it interrupted the game and it was a bunch of guys clowning around uh, that bothered me when when Duke went through the the uh, uh, went through the signage I, I honestly God I I saw him dive in but I I never even really thought about it. I, I didn't even look at it it just it just seemed like uh, um, it, it it just seems so innocent compared to the other one. The other one just seemed pretty contrived. It's almost like having a marker stuck in a in a in a bag on the post and and then signing your name on a ball. You know, it just seemed like really planned. Although it probably wasn't. But I I, I had a tough time with uh, with the, with the first one over the second one. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see uh, what what the league has to say about this for sure. But I, I mean, not, another great game by Duke, I thought. Another great game by Brian Mitchell, who steps in there. What do you think of that play where Riley was trying to get it to Duke when he was blitzed, trying to lob it deep into the end zone, and it floods, flutters into the air, and and Mitchell tracked it down. I, I I can't remember seeing a play that that unfolded exactly like that, Blake. Well, I, I turned away for a second, and then when I looked up, I went, "Wait a second, they weren't punting, were they?" Because that's what that pass looked like. It uh, it just hung up there in the air for so long, and and you credit to to Bryant Mitchell for being able to track that thing down. And you know the other thing is, even though the Eskimos got five hundred plus, almost five hundred and a half yards of offense on uh, on Winnipeg, and I, I mentioned this to uh, Mike Riley after the game, is that man in, in the last couple of games, uh, last three games, you've been you've been sacked uh, twelve times. And going into the uh, the uh, the first four after the, uh, what is it the first six games he'd only been sacked four times, so teams are starting to get to him, and and uh, having five times he was put on the on the grass uh, because of the sacks that's that's an awful lot of contact and and uh, you know as I said credit to Montreal's defense for being able to come up with schemes that were confusing and and it wasn't like it was against BC when when they. Uh, they uh, were breakdowns of personnel. These were schemes where there was a guy free. Uh, Chip Cox was running free, and uh, and that's just some gr- great scheme development. But the, the I guess the the negative to that from a Montreal standpoint is you do that uh, as much as you do, you're going to you're going to give up some big plays. And uh, I think the Eskimos were fortunate on that pass that Brian Mitchell caught because because that was a situation where. Montreal was literally a half a second too late getting there because if if the guy would have got there that much earlier, that ball never would have been released. And uh, as it turns out, it was great pressure. Normal situation, it probably would have turned into a pick the way the ball hung up there. But... uh, but it turned into seven points for the Eskimos. Well, you're right. We've seen some teams come after Riley with pressure to varying degrees of success. Blake, what's your attitude offensively 
against a, a team that's going to start blitzing and maybe bring in six, seven, or I think even a couple times Montreal brought eight guys. The one school of thought is we'll have a short pattern ready so you can get it out of your hands quick and try to get yards after the catch. The other philosophy is well, it's probably going to be man-on-man coverage, so you might be able to loft one deep and beat a guy, or, or, or maybe even get a penalty. Do you do you favor one or the, over the other to try to counteract a blitz? Well, I think on every play, every time you've got a pass play in play, you've got options like that. The Eskimos, the Eskimos have options, and and Riley did make that comment after the game where he said, you know, I got to be a little quicker. Maybe the, the we didn't make the reads as quick with our receivers as well, so we we they were able to make some adjustments going into the second half. But you, you have that. When you're, when you're preparing for pass, you've got to always have a hot route. And that hot route is always going to be that route that is going to be a, a, either a really ch- a quick check down uh, for the quarterback and the receiver, uh, or it's going to be a, a slant really fast into a seam. Or sometimes that hot route is you just throw it to the edge and let a guy go get it. And uh, so that's there all the time. But, but I think what Montreal did a really nice job of, is, as I said earlier, was that they were confusing the, the Eskimo uh, offense and confusing the quarterback and the receivers and and uh, when you can do that that that's successful but typically when you do that you don't give up six, 600 yards of offense Blake Dermott Eskimos analyst joining us tonight on Inside Sports Eskimos 6-3 and three, halfway through their season beat Montreal 40-24 on Saturday I think the big story league wide over the weekend Blake is that the Calgary Stampeders lost a game uh, I think we knew it was going to happen. I don't. There hasn't been an 18 and 0 team. Uh, there have been some 15 and 16 teams win uh, team uh, win teams along the way. Edmonton won uh, 14 games back in 2015. Uh, you know, for Saskatchewan, it's it's interesting how they do it. Uh, pick six, block punt for a touchdown, uh, got them the lead, and then then they roll on from there. And, and I thought still the offense did a pretty good job controlling the ball and getting a few points. But uh, it's been an interesting formula for the Riders this season. They've been very up and down. I mean, they're the only team to lose to Montreal. Now they're the only team to beat Calgary. Yeah. A um, couple of things. Uh, I'm wondering if, and, and I don't want to put all of the shift to this, but uh, when, when you have an opportunity to clean out a locker room, when there's something that is, is disruptive, even though that person may be well-liked in the locker room, but it, it, it almost gives players a chance to breathe. And uh, uh, sometimes... Sometimes that needs to happen, and uh, the Rough Riders did that this week. But the other thing is, is we've all said all year they've, their defense has been really strong. They've, their offense has been what's been inconsistent, and what makes an inconsistent offense? Well, you lose your starting quarterback for six of those games. And then, uh, you know, this is the first time that Zach Kolaris looked like Zach Kolaris of 2014. It's been a while since we've seen that, and uh, and he looked good. He he managed the game. He threw the ball. He he hit the receivers when he needed to hit the receivers, and 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 he had some receivers make some nice plays for him. And then the other thing is, is that this Saskatchewan team was a team that gave up 24 points to, uh, uh, not that long ago in a hurry, and then and then uh, then fought back a little bit to try to make it a bit, a bit of a game. So they were a team that had some confidence, and this is a team that knew that they could they could play with these guys. And uh, when you have that really sour taste in your mouth for a couple of weeks, they uh, they were ready to play the Stampeder team. And, I, and frankly, I don't know if Calgary was. You know, I don't I don't think Calgary was as ready as they've been uh, uh, in in other games. And uh, and the other thing too is, you know, it's tough to maintain that uh, uh, tough to maintain that undefeated streak. And uh, the because you, you got a gigantic target on your back. And we have seen Calgary this year two or three times come up with slow starts. To inferior teams, and and when they have a slow t- start, the other teams have had a slow start. But this time, 
Saskatchewan was ready, and their quarterback was ready, their defense was ready, and uh, Coach Jones had them prepared. And, and, you know, so Calgary lost the game. The, the Suns still came up today, and, and they're probably going to lose another one or two. And uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm Dickinson uh, down there, I'm thinking, you know what? It's not so bad to lose a game because now the guys get a chance to get refocused, and, and uh, you don't have this pressure of, oh, we're, we're eventually going to lose a game, and it's, I hope it doesn't happen in the Grey Cup, and, which has happened to them in the last couple of years. Um, I don't think losing a game hurts a team. It, it should make you stronger. All right. Well, Eskimos, two games with Calgary coming up, the Labor Day series, but first they visit Hamilton on Thursday. We'll both be keeping an eye on that one, Blake. Hey, thanks for coming on tonight, man. We'll talk later on. Okay, Reed. Thanks a lot. Our Eskimos analyst, Blake Dermott, and that game in Hamilton on Thursday here on 6.30. Chad, 4 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will begin at 5.30. If you would like to reach out, you can call 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Blue Jays and Orioles, 1-1, bottom of the fifth. Listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. I mean, all I'll say is the league has a policy that says you cannot use a prop, and we've talked to him about that. Now, the first game that he got called with that with a flat with his towel, I didn't know the towel would be used as a prop, could be used as a prop, but he found out the hard way that it is. We have pointed out point out to him that you know any nothing except for celebrating with your teammates is acceptable so he was celebrating with his teammates but you cannot use anything to celebrate so if our league league has the mandate where you can't use a prop don't use a prop don't use that that uh cardboard cutout you know so you know that's that's kind of all i'll say about it Eskimos head coach Jason Moss after Saturday's game talking about the Duke Williams objectionable conduct penalty for crawling through the booster juice sign. Discipline was a huge talking point for the Oilers or for the Eskimos going into the game against Montreal. I was saying I would love to see them say take eight or fewer penalties. They took nine for 105 yards. Uh, there was the one, uh, Godfrey Onyeka got rough play a couple of times, grabbing the guy around the head. That was a penalty. I was a little surprised on the other one. It, it looked like he, he launched his shoulder into the Montreal ball carrier. They said he launched uh, and led with the crown of his helmet, so that's why he got a spearing penalty. Uh, but nine for 105, still too many, but I guess we will look on the bright side that it came down a bit. Montreal, by the way, Awful. 14 penalties, 129 yards. Remember where they got three in a row on that one drive in the second quarter to uh, keep an Eskimos drive alive. Montreal is, uh, they're just a bad team. I mean, they've only won one game. So I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Jason Moss was asked if they did indeed improve in the discipline department on Saturday. You know, overall, yes. Are there things that I'd like to clean up? I don't like to have a guy, you know, get in a fight and throw a punch and get kicked out. You know, that's that's bad football and obviously hurt our team. And, you know, when, when you have a starter that gets thrown out of a game and it puts a lot of pressure on everybody else. And so Merce will learn from that. And we had two fights in practice this week. We had or we had one fight and a three minute drill. We got on both of those players, kicked them out and basically pointed them out and said this cannot happen in any game. And we had one 
really bad play in practice where we could have gotten a fight and a guy restrained. And I we pointed that out and said, what a great job. So Merce needs to understand that. He needs to say, hey, it doesn't matter what someone does to me. I can never do something like that. It, it only hurts our football team. It's very selfish. He understands that. And we'll get better from it. And again, you know, so overall tonight, I know there was things that we need to clean up. But I knew it was going to be a work in progress with the discipline part. But I'm satisfied with the way we're handling it and the way we're working to get better. That's what I'm proud of with our guys. And Jason Moss coming up with Morley Scott between 7.30 and 8 tonight. It looks like C.J. Gable will be back as the Eskimos running back on Thursday in Hamilton as he practiced today. Shaq Cooper did a really good job filling in. Uh, A bit of a slashing runner. I don't know how well he would be running between the tackles and getting yards after contact, but had a pretty good game. 102 carries, uh, got a receiving touchdown as well. Bryant Mitchell, seven receptions, 128 yards. Pasquale Dupuis, the fullback, suffered a torn bicep in that game. He will be out for the season. The Eskimos have brought back receivers Sam Sam Jaguer. They let him go uh, a week ago. Now they bring him back. So that's your latest uh, from the Eskimos until we get to Jason Moss after the 7.30 news. The Oilers are going to play, uh, the Oilers rookies, I should say, will play the Nate McEwen All-Star team on September 11th at Rogers Place. Remember, these? Uh, this happened last year, and uh, the Nate McEwen team stunned the Oilers rookies 2-0, despite being uh, heavily outshot. It turned into a pretty interesting game. Tickets for this game will cost 25 bucks. They will go on sale Friday at 10 through edmontonoilers.com. So that's September 11th, the Oilers rookies against the Nate McEwen All-Stars. So uh, likely Evan Bouchard, Oilers' first-round draft pick from this last summer, will be in that game. Jakob Yerebek, the left-shooting defenseman, 26 years old from the Czech Republic, Played in the NHL last season, split between Montreal and Washington. He is the newest Oiler. He gets a one-year contract. And, of course, Scotty Upshaw signed to a PTO over the weekend. You can get more on 630Ched.com. One of the uh, scary moments from the weekend, well, I would think the scariest moment in the world of sports, Canadian driver Robert Wickens in that horrific crash at Pocono Raceway. Spinal surgery today. He's 29 years old. He's from Guelph. We wish him all the best in his recovery. It was... uh, Well, one of those racing injuries you hope, or racing incidents you hope you don't see. To talk more about that, local driver, Steph Radzinski. Steph, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, man? Hey, Reed. Not too bad, not too bad. Obviously, uh, not the the greatest uh, of terms that we're chatting, but uh, but yeah, it's always um, always good to chat. Well, I, I appreciate getting your perspective on this because that was one of those, when you when you see it, you fear the worst, whether people were watching it live or maybe hadn't heard about it and saw it on on highlights, because obviously the speed involved is incredible and the and the car is basically helicoptering. When the car comes apart like that, Steph, uh, I I mean somebody I heard somebody say that's what's supposed to happen. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean I mean the cars are designed as a carbon monocoque shell. Um, they're designed obviously there's there's a there's a hard shell around the car that that keeps the driver safe and. And basically, all of the other pieces, like the wings and the engine and um, the wheels, everything essentially is meant to dissipate off of that because that's just energy that um, is released. Um, so if it stayed on the car, it would actually make the hit on the impact. The impact of the driver even worse. Um, so all that stuff is designed to happen. Obviously, it's uh, terrifying to see a car ripped into shreds like that at uh, 230, 240 miles an hour into a, into a catch fence. So. Uh, 
I know the incident caught a, a lot of attention and uh, not the first of its kind in the last you know decade or so. So um, it's really tough to see. Obviously, you know there was shades of some pretty pretty bad incidents uh, when I saw that for the first time yesterday. I was uh, I was racing at the kart track uh, with a bunch of other guys. Some of them who had raced with Robert. Um, I knew him pretty well, so we were all uh, pretty concerned. Continue to be pretty, pretty concerned about him, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he recovers fully. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, people can read about the injuries. I said, you know, he was having spinal surgery today, so so you hope for the best. Tell me how, I mean, look, when it's that bad, somebody's going to get hurt, but how how is a driver protected in there? Like, you're going so fast, there's the opportunity to, to spin or be jostled around even from a from a minor tap or something not that not that serious. I, I mean, how encased are you in there in, in an Indy car? I mean, you're, you're locked in. I mean, it's, it's a, it is, a, it is a, as cliche as it might sound, it's a testament to what they've done with the, the Delaware chassis in IndyCar. I mean, I, can't, I don't know, you know, most people can't survive a 100 kilometer an hour accident on the streets. You know, you're going 240 miles an hour, which is, I think, close to 400 kilometers an hour or more, um, and they have an incident like that. Um, you're obviously strapped in and, and, and you know, everything Delara and the team at IndyCar and the safety team has done to, to you know, to, to have somebody to get out of something like that, it, it, it's, it's incredible. It, it truly is. It's, I think in, in racing where, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, there was no question. People were just immediately dead after incidents like that. That was common status, you know, in, in, in racing at that level, at those speeds, you know, you just, people just die doing it. And we, we obviously have much less of that now, but the risk of the sport, I don't think, ever goes away and, you know, even when you see Robert's car shear off the the roll hoop of uh, Ryan Hunter Ray's car and went right above his head, I mean, you know, that was that was five six inches from disaster for another driver. So uh, I think you can't underestimate um, the dangerous skill involved with racing at that level and at those speeds. Um, truly, there's gladiators in IndyCar doing that that kind of thing, and I think. Um, it's just crazy that, that obviously we've, we've got Robert with us still today. It's a, it's a miracle. Steph, obviously there, there has to be some sort of barrier on areas of the track where there are grandstands positioned so people can watch the race. Yeah. Would it, would it be, but on areas where there aren't fans, would it be better if there wasn't a fence or a barrier, and then if a car goes off like that, it it you know it's maybe more likely just going to spin out or have its momentum peter out? Like, well, I, did that I, fence make that worse? You know what I mean? I, I don't. I don't. It certainly hasn't helped. I think on the ovals, the thing that that you're worried about when you go 240 miles an hour and you get into an airborne accident, that car could be catapulted to who knows how far right. into wherever it is if it's just a you know if it's open. So. I don't think that's necessarily going to be an option for many of those tracks. Um, I know the discussion we've been had over the last decade, uh, you know, since we lost Dan Weldon, and you know, because he hit the fence with his head and, and, and it killed him, unfortunately. Um, you know, is there a better way? I know there's people who've talked about hockey-style, you know, glass. You know, is there something that wouldn't impede the the viewing of the race, but would maybe keep the drivers safe? Because it's all that catch fencing that rips up the cars and Obviously, there was debris and just a uh, huge dissipation, dissipation of force there. And um, I, I mean, I can't, I'm not an expert. I can't pretend to say this is the right way to go about. I certainly think as a driver, you can tell other drivers are very concerned. 
I think uh, if the drivers are concerned, there should be something addressed. Right. Uh, Steph, thanks for your perspective on that. Steph Radzinski, Edmonton's own driver, joining us tonight on 630 Chat. Hey, before we, have, we haven't talked in a little while here. Before we let you go, uh, tell people what you're up to now. Uh, I'm racing in the Porsche GT3 Cup, racing for uh, downtown Toronto uh, Porsche. Um, the final race weekend is this weekend at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, just outside Toronto. So I'm fourth in the point standings, fighting for third. Um, it's my rookie series in the season, rookie uh, season in the series, and uh, you know trying to see if we can still get on the overall podium. So um, yeah, it should be fun this weekend. Steph, you're always great to talk to. Keep pursuing the dream, buddy. I know you're working hard and doing great. Thanks for coming on tonight. I really appreciate that, Reed. Have a great one. That is Steph Radzinski checking in tonight inside sports on 630. Chad, yeah, horrific-looking crash. Canadian Robert Wickens, 29-year-old from Guelph, the uh, crash at Pocono Raceway yesterday. You know, hopefully he gets through all this spinal surgery today. It is 647. It is inside sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, we are uh, going to do something a little different when we get back. We're going to get romantic. Well, maybe not me directly, but it's romance-related. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's uh, impossible. This kiss, this kiss. Now, why would we possibly play a country music song on Inside Sports? Well, because that's the song often associated with the kiss cam at varying sporting events and if you've ever listened to my show um, you will know that I am not a fan of the uh, extracurricular stuff at sporting events Now, I'm not saying I want it taken away I'm just saying for me as an observer I've never been that into it I have openly mocked the super dogs Uh, I don't care about the Boston pizza shuffle or whatever is going on, but I realize many of you find it entertaining, and that's fine. It's just not for me. I don't often pay attention to it. But the kiss cam at the Eskimos game on Saturday caught my attention because it was different, and it involved something that I feel like we used to see a lot more of at sporting events, and now maybe its frequency has, has diminished, and it has sometimes resulted in disasters for the people involved. But this one, at least as, as far as I know over the last 48 hours, has uh, been proceeding uh, very well. I'm pleased to welcome to the show Sean Fletcher and Mallory Boone. Mallory, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. And Sean, how are you today? Uh, fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for coming on my show. I don't know uh, if it was a goal of yours to be on Inside Sports, but if it was, it's goal achieved. <laughs> So you guys got engaged on the big screen uh, for the kiss cam at the Eskimos game. Sean, we just lost Mal or uh, Kellen. We just lost Mallory. Can you get her back on the line? That's okay. My first message was uh, my first question was for Sean. Sean, could you let us know what you had to do first of all uh, to arrange this to make sure. You know, you knew the timing. Mallory was there at the right time. You know, like, what what did you have to do to line this up? Well, uh, it was pretty much straight from the hip because I bought the ring on Thursday. Mallory told me about the football game also, I think, Wednesday. And I just thought it might be a good idea to do it there. If I didn't do it then, I was going to do it the night before. But I just I went to the game and had aspirations of that happening, and I snuck away from her seats and went up top and found a 
I met it because he had a radio, and I asked him if uh, he could help me out on getting some televised action on it. And he's like, no. I worked for the stadium, and he took me to an information booth for the for the team. And then that's where she got in touch with uh, Christopher or Chris. With Sheets. Chris Sheets from Kissin, yeah, and he does the game day hosting there, yeah. Yeah, and everything else was them because they just said be in your seats in the third quarter, and I wouldn't didn't know if it was going to be the first part or the last, so I didn't go to the bathroom in that halftime, and <laughs> I was glad they showed up when they did because we both had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> now, Mallory, did you ever suspect something was up? No, not at all, actually. Uh, how, Mallory, how long have you guys been a couple? Just about two years. And have you discussed marriage, I hope? A little bit, yep. <laughs> I've talked to him a few times. So when this started happening, Mallory, what was going through your mind? I didn't really know what was happening at first. I wasn't really paying attention. I kind of wondered why the cameras were there and then didn't really pay too much attention. And then when I saw him on his knee, I kind of clued in and then I was in shock for a little bit. Well, you said yes. Uh, Sean, I I referenced that this always hasn't turned out. And you can go, you know, TSN or Sportsnet would have their top tens. I I remember there was one young woman who actually ran away from the young man in the middle of a baseball stadium. Sean, did you have any worries of this ending badly for for you? I was like probably 99%. So... So a better completion percentage than Mike Riley on second down. That's how sure you are. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Uh, and what what have some of your friends and family said since then when they either saw it or found out this is how it went down? Go ahead, Mallory. Oh, it was pretty funny. We've gotten lots of texts and lots of calls, and most people saw it right away. There was quite a few people at the game that I knew, and I was getting texts right away. It's just pretty special and exciting, and we're really, really thankful that it went like that because we have so many memories now. Pictures, so, videos. Well, that's I, that's interesting, Mallory, because I know uh, you know some women have said to me when when this has happened in the past that even if they wanted to marry their their gentleman, they wouldn't want it that way because they they wouldn't want it to be that public and people seeing it. But you're you're clearly not bothered by it. No, not at all. We're pretty outgoing people, so it kind of worked out well. <laughs> well, I can tell by talking to you guys. Uh, now, are you going to the Eskimos game? Is that is together? Is that a thing for you, or is that new? It was a new thing for us. We just moved to Edmonton. I just wanted to surprise him with something cool, like front row tickets. And he went up to me, but I think it's going to become a thing now. <laughs> oh, good. So, Sean, are you uh, are, are are you an Eskimos fan then, or just football in general? Um, I used basketball. That's the most game I went to is I'm probably 12 years old. So I don't watch a lot of it, but I do enjoy the Eskimos when I do watch. Good stuff. Well, it, it, they scored a lot of points. They won the game. Um, that's probably what I'll remember. No offense, guys. But uh, oh. <laughs> no, in all seriousness. Again, week 40 to, what was it, 17? 40 to 24. Montreal got that late one. Well, we'll give uh-huh. them that one. Hey, you know what, though, guys? All, all joking aside, uh, very, very cool moment. Thank you for being willing to come on Inside Sports and tell a, a little bit of your story. Hopefully someday I'll get to say hi to you guys in person. Next time you're at a game, I, I'd love to come shake your hand. Thank you for coming on Inside Sports tonight. And, of course, uh, all the best in your relationship and your marriage. Thank you, Thank you very you much. much.
That is Sean Fletcher and Mallory Boone. Sean popped the question on the big screen, on the kiss cam. Mallory loved it. Mallory said yes. And they will live happily ever after. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.